0: Well, good evening once again, and uh, warm welcome if you are visiting with us this evening. It's good to be together on this Lord's Day evening, and we pray that the Lord himself will lead our worship and accept our worship and uh, nourish us through his word. We're going to sing in Psalm 96a, 96a, and uh, we'll sing from the beginning to verse 10. Psalm 96a, it's from Sing Psalms. And uh, it's 96a. Uh, O sing a new song to the Lord. Sing praises to his name and his salvation day by day. Let all the earth proclaim one to ten to God's praise. Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you will put a new song in our mouths so that we may glorify and magnify you. We pray that our hearts will be filled with thankfulness afresh and again this evening as we think on what the Lord's Day represents. Not only a day of rest, which is good for our body and our mind and our soul, but a day when we remember that it was on the first day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead. And we pray that his resurrection will take the central place in our worship again this evening. We ask, Father, that you will give us a spirit of worship. Take away all distraction from us. We confess how easy it is to be distracted uh, because of the busyness of life. And how quickly our minds go on to, uh, are are attracted to what we are going to be doing tomorrow and, and this week and uh, the events and the the issues that are in our families and in our our lives. We pray that you will please take them away from us and give give us to concentrate and to focus our attention uniquely on your word this evening. We give thanks that you are reigning over our lives, over our community, our families, our country and the world. We give thanks that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and that you have a purpose for the world. You have told us to go into all nations and to make disciples of all peoples, uh, promising that you are with us, uh, accompanying and empowering your people as they witness, as they bear witness to your truth. We ask, Father, now that, that as we meet together, as we meet in prayer, that you will give us a fresh confidence in prayer, believing in the effectiveness of crying out to you, calling out to you, pleading for your mercy and pleading for your power and believing that you hear us and you will answer uh, our, every, our every request as we come in the name of Jesus. And so, Father, we ask that as we, uh, as we uh, sing your word together, And as we read it together and as we reflect on it, that you will bless our time together and help us to make the most of every opportunity. For we ask with the forgiveness of sin in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing in Psalm 27. Psalm number 27, this time uh, again from Sing Psalms and it's uh, we're going to sing from the beginning to the end of verse 4 the Lord's my savior and my light who will make me dismayed Psalm 27 uh, from the beginning to verse 4 we'll stand to sing Our reading this evening comes from the Gospel of John and chapter 20. There's two readings. One is 20, verse 19 to 29, and then we'll skip over to 21, uh, 15 to 19. So first of all, John chapter 20 and verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked... Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then in 21, verse 15 to 19, uh, we read the following. And after saying this he said to him Follow me Amen This is God's inspired Inerrant holy word And uh, we pray that God will take it And bless it to us uh, And uh, by the power of his Holy Spirit That our lives will be changed by it Let's um, join together in prayer once again Let's pray Our Father we pray that will feature in our lives on a regular basis not just by habit but because we really believe that we are communicating with you we are talking to the God who listens and we want to unburden ourselves we want to confess our own failures yet again this evening we want to confess our weaknesses and we want to ask not only for your forgiveness that you will strengthen us as we look to the future we give thanks that you not only give us your forgiveness but that your promised Holy Spirit dwells within us to will and to do of your good pleasure we ask that we may walk then with you and that you will dwell within us and we pray that that will inform our lives as we get up in the morning and as we uh, face the challenges of a busy week, we pray that we, we will always remember that we are not our own, that we are bought with a price, that we are united to Jesus, a Jesus who goes everywhere with us and who will never separate Him from Himself from us as we go about our daily lives. We pray for our families, we pray for the young people in this congregation. For the children of this congregation, we thank you for, uh, for them this morning and this evening. We pray that you your word will speak to them powerfully. We pray that you will meet with them at this early stage of their lives. We pray that they will put their trust in Jesus, that their lives will be transformed now, and that, they give, that they'll give themselves w- w- to you completely committing themselves to the lord we thank you that they can do things together we thank you for the work of of youth camps and for the way in which they can come together over a couple of weeks in the summer and that they can gather around your word and learn more of it uh, whilst enjoying the good things that you give to them we thank you for the youth rally that there was yesterday uh, uh, here in inverness and we do pray father that you will, that you will continue to speak to them as they grow up in a dark and a confusing world, a world in which there are many, many voices and strong attractions in all the wrong directions. But we pray that by the power of your Spirit that they will listen to the one voice that they need to listen to. We pray that their Bible will become precious to them, that you will give them understanding. In fact, give all of us understanding. We pray for parents as they seek, seek to navigate through uh, a difficult world and as they seek to set an example of how to live the Christian life, not only by what they say, but what, how they live, what they do. We pray, Father, that you will give them wisdom in all that they do and give us all to pray fervently and, uh, and enthusiastically that you will raise up a generation who will serve you and know you and love you. We pray, Father, for the gospel as it goes out. We ask, Lord, that you will encourage this congregation. We pray for everyone, whether they're members or adherents. We pray for uh, Malcolm McLean and his work as interim moderator We ask that you will give him uh, wisdom and give him all of the skills that are required uh, to be a help and encouragement to the people here. We thank you for them. We thank you for the, for the fellowship that we can have uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ our Father in heaven we pray for anyone who's facing particular difficulty right now whether that's illness or difficulty at work or or conflict we ask our Father because we, we, we are in a world where there is full of conflict and we pray that you will give us wisdom give us the, to display the fruit of the Spirit we confess how many times that uh, all the wrong qualities come out, qualities that don't belong to Jesus. And how how quickly we can say the wrong thing, things that we, can re- that we quickly regret. We pray that you will forgive us for these times and show us how to uh, display the peace of God that passes all understanding. So Lord, whether it is family members or whether it is people at work, that we find difficult to get on with, we ask, Father, that you will, that you will give us to, to display the Lord Jesus at all times, even though that is difficult. Our Father, we pray that you will encourage each one of us, that you will build us up, that you will give us the joy of the Lord and help us to remember what your word, as it says to us, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. So Father, accept us now and hear us. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing, uh, before we come back to that passage, we're going to sing in Psalm 67. And it's in the Scottish Psalter version. Psalm number 67. Lord, bless and pity us. Shine on us with thy face, that the earth thy way and nations all may know you uh, your thy saving grace psalm uh, 67 and i think it's the the uh, traditional version of the psalm can this be put on the screen <coughs> There, right? they, that's the that's the uh, Sams version. That's it. Okay, Lord bless and pity us. The period of time Between Jesus' resurrection And his ascension That period of time was 40 days So there were 40 days Between the time that Jesus rose from the dead And when he finally left his disciples On the mountain And he disappeared into the sky And we read that a cloud enveloped him and we believe in reading the rest of the new testament that as he disappeared that he went to be with the father to sit at the father's right hand now i don't know spatially what that means i don't think anybody does it's one of these truths that you have to simply accept not knowing what it means. There's loads of truths like that in the Bible that we have to just accept the words that we have because we don't know where the right hand of the Father is. We don't know where exactly Jesus is seated, but we believe that it is a reality. Jesus is alive. And that means not only that he rose from the dead, but that he continues to live. And we'll see in a few moments time he continues to live as God and as one of us. He's a human being and he hasn't stopped being a human being. But in any way, in any case, I'm fascinated by these 40 days. I'm fascinated by the question, why were there these 40 days? Why was it that Jesus didn't rise from the dead and then immediately go to be with the Father? After all, surely his work on earth was done. When he he died on the cross, just before he died, he said, it is finished, meaning that he, he was finished the work that he came to do, the work of our salvation, by paying the price of our sin. You might imagine that once that work was finished, that he would straightway leave this world and return to the Father. But he didn't he stayed for another 40 days. I'm also fascinated by the difference between his life during that 40 days in comparison with the kind of ministry that he had before the cross. For example, there were lots of miracles before the cross. His work, his life, his ministry was to go around the cities and the towns and the villages and... To authenticate his being, his sonship, his divinity, he did the most extraordinary things like walking on the water, changing water into wine, raising the dead. These were extraordinary things that only a divine person could do. Only he had the authority. Now, these were the things he did before the cross, and he did them freely, and he did them openly. But after the resurrection... He seems to have stopped all that. And it's the same with his teaching beforehand. You had, for example, the Sermon on the Mount where he talked to many, many people. And afterwards, after he rose from the dead, there is no more public ministry. There are only a defined select number of appearances to a select number of people. So I'm intrigued by the question tonight, why was this? Why was there this 40 day period between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension? Now what you have to do here is you have to put together all four Gospels and you have to come to a conclusion on the answer to that question. Why is, why is it that Jesus waited for 40 days on the earth before he returned to the earth? before he returned to the Father. And I can think of at least five reasons. And I want to, do, want to go through all five of them, if we've got time. If we don't have time, we'll just have to miss out some of them. But as, as time allows, I can think of five reasons why Jesus uh, waited on the earth before he returned to the Father And the first of these reasons actually has little to do with the passage that we read. (coughs) It's to to expound the necessity of his death. In other words, it was to explain why it was necessary for him to die in the first place. And the proof that I have of this is not John 20, it's Luke chapter 24, where Jesus, (coughs) on the day that he rose from the dead... He met with two disciples as they made their way to Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus. And you remember what happened. You remember how uh, they didn't, of course, recognize him at first. Uh, they didn't know he was a stranger to them and he began to talk to them and they began to ask him about the events that had happened in Jerusalem over the past few days and particularly how troubled they were at the death of Jesus of Nazareth who they had come to believe and they got into this conversation and eventually you remember how they stopped at the house and they went in for something to eat and it was then as he sat at the table with them and as presumably he handed to them the bread that they were going to eat. And presumably as they saw the marks of the nails in his hands. That they all of a sudden realized who they were talking to. And they realized that this was none other than the risen Lord Jesus. Now the point is this. That during that conversation Jesus he opened their minds To understand the scriptures. This is what we read. He opened their mind to understand the scriptures and said to them that it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So, what was he doing in this conversation? What was this conversation all about? It was an explanation to these two people as to why it was absolutely necessary for. They couldn't understand. If this was the Son of God, how can the Son of God be arrested? How can the Son of God be taken and tied up and mocked? How can he be stripped of his clothes? How can he have a th- crown of thorns placed on him? And how could he eventually be nailed to a cross? And how, could it, how is it possible that someone who is the Son of God, who has the power over the wind and the waves, that they could watch his body being taken down off the cross, wrapped in linen and placed in a tomb? That doesn't make sense. It's not just that an innocent man was put to death. That's bad enough. But here is someone who they believe to be the Son of God. How can this happen to someone who comes from heaven? (coughs) Was it all... Has somebody made a mistake somewhere? It just doesn't seem to... There's a huge paradox in all of this. Now, on this occasion, the risen Jesus explain to them why it was necessary for him to die that all of this was no mistake it was no accident that in actual fact that death was the reason why Jesus had come into the world in the first place because death was essential if we were to be set free from sin And he took them all the way back to the Old Testament. I'm sure that they talked about the various prophecies in the Old Testament that talked about Isaiah 53, for example, that specifically refers to the Messiah, the suffering Messiah, the suffering servant. But he would also have spoken about the sacrifices in the Old Testament and how it was necessary if we were to be forgiven by God for blood to be shed. And how all of these sacrifices look forward to the death of Jesus one day. His death was absolutely necessary for the removal of our sin. And that's an explanation that we need in every generation. It's an explanation that began then and that went all all the way through the New Testament with the Apostle Paul and John and Peter and how... they explain to us in the pages of the New Testament why it was essential for Jesus to die and rise again. It was all part of the plan of God from all eternity. So that's the first reason then. The first reason was to expound the necessity of his death. The second reason is this. The reason why he stayed for 40 days... Was to authenticate the reality and the nature of his resurrection. To authenticate the reality and the nature of his resurrection. On that first evening, when Jesus, we read about it in John chapter 20, Jesus stood in front of the overjoyed disciples, it becomes clear that he was there for a specific reason. And we're told what it was at the beginning of John chapter 20. He showed them his hands and, or rather, uh, later on, he, he showed them his hands and his feet. Verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side. Why was this so necessary? Well, it was necessary by, uh, by way of identification. You know how important identification is. In many walks of life you know how important that if you're going to be arrested, I hope that doesn't happen, but if you're arrested for anything then the person arresting you has to show you his identification or her identification. They are, you wear a uniform if they're uniformed police officers and if they're not then they show you some kind of badge. If somebody comes to read the meter, used to happen, people come to read the meter, they have to show you their badge. Otherwise, you don't let them into your house. They may be there for, for all the wrong reasons. Identification is absolutely important. Now, here is the most extraordinary thing. Here is someone who they believe to be Jesus but how can this be how can Jesus they've just seen him being nailed to a roman cross once a person is nailed to a cross you don't live after that there is only one direction that 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 the cross goes in and that is death nobody ever ever survived the cross and if even if it was possible what about the three days in the tomb, his body was wrapped in linen over and over again. He was placed in a tomb. How can it be possible at all for anybody to serve? And yet, here is someone who they believe it resembles Jesus. How can they be absolutely sure? Well, here's how He shows them His hands and His feet. And the reason why this is so important is because they are going to go out and they're going to preach to the whole world that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead and the whole world's not going to believe them. Because they're going to say understandably, we saw this man. We we watched him being taken his body being taken down from the cross and you're now saying that he rose from the dead. They have to be absolutely certain that this is not an illusion that this is not a mistaken identity that it is jesus and this is how jesus gives them that certainty i read a story once about david livingston the the famous missionary doctor in africa you remember how he died over there now i'm not sure if this story is true or not but uh, i read somewhere that when they brought his body back to london for burial There was some doubt as to, or some question over, was this really David Livingston? How were they going to make absolutely sure that this remains was actually David Livingston? And somebody remembered that he had been attacked by a lion on one occasion, and his arm had been badly injured by the lion remember he was a jungle doctor he was he 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 spent years of his life in the African jungle and he had met on this one he met a lion and the lion had attacked him and uh, it had mauled his arm and somebody remembered that and so they looked at the arm of this person who had died and sure enough sure enough uh, it was badly mauled and that's how they knew that they really had the body of David living. So, well, authenticity is absolutely essential in this case. If you're going to go out and put your life on the line, and the disciples, let's face it, that's what they did. Most of them gave their lives in preaching about Jesus. They had to be absolutely certain that Jesus was the Son of God and that he was That he had risen from the dead. Can I just stop there? Because we're so used to talking about the risen Jesus in the church, aren't we? That's that's the reason we're here. But don't ever lose sight of the wonder of this great central gospel truth. The reason I'm a Christian tonight is not because I was brought up in a Christian home. Thank God I was, and I'm always thankful for it. It's not because I came to a Christian church. It's not because I'm trying to continue some tradition in Scotland or in Christianity or anything like that. The reason I'm a Christian is because Jesus rose from the dead. If he didn't, I wouldn't be a Christian. I'd be a million miles away from here. I wouldn't be anywhere near this place. The reason that I am here tonight, and the reason why most of you, I hope all of you are here tonight, is because Jesus is alive. Can we never lose sight of that? The wonder of it. And it's the, the wonder is this, that death is the final separator, isn't it? We all know that. I'm sure many of, us, many of us have experienced the sadness and the finality of death in our own lives. We've lost loved ones. And we've watched as, as a coffin has been lowered into the grave. There's that awful realization that this cannot be reversed. But Jesus' resurrection proves that it can be reversed Because he did it He did it in Lazarus for example He raised him from the dead Lazarus had been buried for four days And Jesus says take away the stone And he says Lazarus come out you don't talk to a dead. It's the height. Have, have you ever read that passage, John chapter 11? I know I'm digressing, but to me this is such a central truth that we have to, we have to uh, uh, bring this home. And remember how Jesus stood in front of the Lazarus' grave and he, and he spoke to Lazarus. You don't speak to someone who's dead in front of their grieving relatives. It's the height of offence to say that. And yet that's exactly what he did. And moments later, there is Lazarus. Standing upright. Alive. And on this occasion, it's happening again. This time in the life of Jesus. He's been dead. He's been in the grave for three days. And there he is. He's alive. Standing in front of the disciples. This is incredible. It is unbelievable. If it wasn't true, it would be the biggest con trick in the world. I wonder if you've ever thought of that like this. I wonder, you know, if there is anybody here tonight that hasn't come to faith in Jesus for the first time. I wonder if you've thought about the gospel in these terms that it's either true or else it's nonsense. Now if it's true, it is the most wonderful message in the world because Jesus has risen from the dead. Which means that he has the key of life and death. And he promises that he says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will never die. That's his promise. If you believe in me, you will never die. And that promise is just as alive tonight as it ever was. If you believe in Jesus, if you trust in him, if you receive him as your Lord, your savior, he promises you will never die. Now we you say, well, of course, everybody dies. But what he meant by that is that for people who believe and trust in Jesus, death is a doorway into heaven. It's a doorway into everlasting life. Jesus promises heaven for all those who put their trust in him. And I hope everyone here tonight is trusting and believing and following the Lord Jesus Christ and if you're not then ask him to show you how to ask him to save you and to be your saviour the third reason why I believe that Jesus um, stayed on the earth before returning to the Father is to reiterate their calling you see the, the disciples had a work for him to do he, he was going to be leaving them very shortly and that would leave them not on their own and not idle. He had a work for them to do. Some of them had been fishermen beforehand and some of them had even gone back to fishing when, uh, in, the, in, the, in the period when they didn't know what was happening. And this was there, the, Jesus drawing them back uh, and go, he's, he's going to send them out again and he's going to, he's going to uh, give them a work Uh, For them to do So He Meets with them On the lake of Galilee And uh, He appears To his Disciples On the lake At the lake Of Galilee We didn't read this Because it would have been too long But uh, His appearance Was remarkably similar To way back At the very beginning When he first met His disciples They were fishing and he was teaching the crowd and he went out in the boat with them and he told them to cast the net off the boat and they said to him, Master, we have fished all night and we've caught nothing. He said, but, but then they said, we'll do it because you say so. And they caught this enormous amount of fish. The same thing happens again in John 21. Exactly the same thing happened. Now what's happening here? Jesus saying, I haven't forgotten that first time that I met you. You remember what I told you as a consequence of that miracle. I said, from now on you will be fishers of men. What that meant was that their life's work was to be preachers of the gospel. They were to go and they were to make disciples of all nations. And it may have been that some of them at least may have lost sight of that. And they had to be reminded that Jesus wasn't finished with them. The story wasn't finished. That they were now to go and they were to listen to his call. And they were to go and make disciples of all nations. What a vivid way of, in which he reenacted their first calling. By reminding them of his power. and Reminding them that this was the work that Uh, Jesus wanted them to do now we're involved in that work if you're involved in the church that is the work of the church to make Jesus known we are to make Jesus known in the Black Isle and in Knockbain and in Edinburgh and Glasgow and wherever God brings us, we are to make him known. We are to make him known in, 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 in ordinary ways, in the ways that we live our lives. Jesus says to us, we are to let our light so shine before people that they may see by the way we live our lives that, we, that our, our faith is an authentic one. And there is a great power in an authentic faith, but we're to also to make Jesus known through the church, through the preaching of the gospel, and we are, we, we have to believe that God has a work for us to do. So, he, so Jesus stays in order to reiterate their calling, but it's more than that because the fourth reason is that he wants them he wants to empower. Their calling. Look at chapter 20 and verse 21. Um, rather, uh, verse, uh, <coughs> verse 21, where Jesus says, something very strange happens. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm sure you've often read that chapter and you thought, well, I wonder what's going on here. And it gets even more, um, it gets even more uh, mysterious as you read on. We'll come to that in a few moments. But what's happening with him breathing? He breathes and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, I want to suggest to you that what you have here is a kind of a prophecy It's Jesus and he is foretelling what's going to happen in the future. And it's all to do with their missional calling. What we were talking about before. How they were going to go out with the gospel and they were going to make Jesus known. They need the Holy Spirit to do that. They can't do that without the power of God. And you know what happens. Almost immediately, a few days after Jesus left them to return to the Father, you remember that the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were all together in one place. Acts chapter 2. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues. Something spectacular happened. As a result of which, Peter stood up and preached a sermon that resulted in 3,000 people coming to know Jesus. Imagine that. What power, by what power did that happen? there's a very simple answer to that and that is by the power of God God the person of the Holy Spirit because the only way in which the message gets through to a person's heart is by the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus recognizing that and he's issuing a kind of prophecy on this occasion when he breathes and when he says receive the Holy Spirit So he is empowering their calling. He's indicating that in a few days' time, they will receive the Holy Spirit. And by that power, they'll be able to effectively make Jesus known in such a way that men and women will come to conviction and come to faith in him. The same is true today. You know, you often hear people saying, ah, I wish I was there on that day it must have been absolutely marvellous I agree it must have been absolutely marvellous to sit and listen to Peter and to watch all these people being changed and convicted and coming to faith in Jesus it must have been and people say well you know what we need, what we need and, and people have had to try and people have tr- actually tried to recreate the day of Pentecost you can't recreate the day of Pentecost because it was a one off but what is true is That the Holy Spirit hasn't left the church. That was the beginning of centuries of gospel witness. And gospel ministry. In which the Holy Spirit has taken the message of the gospel. And driven it home to people. And convicted them of their sin. And convinced them that Jesus is the son of God. And that his death is the payment for their sins. And has drawn them to faith in Jesus the same way as he did with me and with you tonight how, how can we explain why we are Christians is it, do you really think that that, that, that is just simply because you made a decision no it's because God by his power drew you to himself and you became a believer your life was transformed you were born again and your life is completely different to what it was before you came to Jesus. What's made the difference? The power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we are, we, 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 I, I would love to think that this evening would be an opportunity for us to rediscover the truth that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in this congregation. Isn't it marvelous to know that? To be assured of it? He has not left his church. We've done so many things to grieve him and and so many things that we know are wrong and yet God's grace is faithful to his people. So that's the fourth thing. The fifth thing and the last thing is this. Jesus stayed in the world to characterize their missional calling. Chapter 20, verse 23. Another strange thing. When you, and, 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 until you think about it for a few moments' time. This comes directly after the last thing we're talking about, where Jesus breathed. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let me just read that again. If you, He's talking to the disciples. And he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, if you're reading that and you're thinking, you're asking the right questions. You'll be thinking, hold on a minute. Wait a minute. Is Jesus somehow giving the power of forgiveness to the disciples? and if so is he saying to them you can pick and choose who you want to forgive yourselves as you move amongst people as you meet people you can say to someone you are forgiven you on the other hand are not is that what he's saying? on the surface it looks as if that that is what he's saying but uh, that cannot be because uh, in the first place You and I both know that nobody has the power to forgive sin except Jesus. He alone has the power to forgive sin. And that again is a truth we need to just pause and just absorb for a few moments' time. Jesus has the power to forgive sin, Jesus is the only one, only God. Can forgive your sin Whatever that sin is Only you know the extent of that sin But God has the power to forgive it He has the power to wash it away To completely remove All of your guilt Do you want that this evening? Are you so aware Of the wrongdoing in your own heart Maybe stuff that other people Don't know anything about But you're aware of it. And it's like something that just won't leave you. It comes back time and time again. It robs you of sleep. It robs you of your peace. You can't rest. Because you're so aware that you are not right with God. Can I tell you the best thing that I can possibly think of this evening? Which is God has the power... To forgive sin. Can I tell you something else? God is willing to forgive sin. And when he forgives the whole thing, the whole slate is wiped clean. But that still doesn't answer the question, does it? What about the disciples? What's Jesus saying? He's saying, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Well, What does that mean? Well, here's what I believe it means. Remember, their work from then on was to make Jesus known. They were to go and tell people that Jesus came into the world to die on the cross and rise again for our sin. They were going, they were, their work was to invite people to put their trust in Jesus and to ask his forgiveness. Now... In so far as people listened and came to faith in Jesus, the disciples could say, In the name of Jesus Christ, I can tell you now your sin is forgiven. Not because they had the power, but because they were heralds. They were the messengers. In the same way as I can say tonight. Not because I have power. But I can say that if you believe and trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. Your sin is forgiven. I haven't forgiven you. But God has. But equally. If you don't believe. Then forgiveness is withheld. You have no forgiveness. It's a really solemn thought, isn't it? It really is. It's not just a thought. It's a reality. You either have God's forgiveness or you don't. And the most awful thing is you could have it if you asked. What is it that Jesus says? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock and the door will be opened to you. So what we have here is absolutely wonderful. That Jesus' departure from his disciples did not mean his departure from from the gospel they were to go and they were to go and make Jesus known and in many ways he was as present with them as he ever had been in the power and in the person of the Holy Spirit who would empower their message and their preaching and their witness and their ministry and all the way through the centuries to the present day tonight when I can say to you that Jesus said I am the resurrection and the life He who believes, he or she who believes in me, even though they were dead, yet shall they live. And even though and and anyone who believes in me, said Jesus, will never die. I hope all of us tonight have this everlasting life. If you don't, ask God for it. Ask him to change your life. Ask him to forgive your sins. Ask him to transform you and to make you like himself and to take you to be with himself, because that is his promise for now and for eternity. So I'm glad that Jesus stayed. I rejoice that Jesus remained in the world for these forty days. And I rejoice with the, the fact that he met with his disciples on several different occasions to encourage them, to restore them, to pastor them, to give them that, that strength that they needed to go out with the gospel and to, to make disciples of all nations. We need that encouragement again this evening. We need to hear the voice of Jesus and we need to obey that voice, believing that it's by his power that we can live and uh, move and function in this world as his people let's pray together our father in heaven we thank you for staying in the world for 40 days between the tomb and the right hand of the father we bless you afresh this evening that jesus lives that he ever lives that he lives to intercede for us that right now he is listening to our every component of this service Lord, we pray that he will be ours and that we will be his and that you will change our lives, draw us ever closer to yourself and take away our sin in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our closing um, uh, psalm is Psalm 16. And it, Psalm 16 is the in the same vein as we've been talking about. We're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, these words written hundreds of years before Jesus' resurrection uh, are yet uh, they focus on the blessing that Jesus' resurrection uh, brings and the hope that it gives us assurance of verse 8 to verse 11 of Psalm 16 before me still the Lord I set will stand to sing now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one of you both now and all.